Hi Metro, this week you're going to be looking at the life of Joseph and the theme is going back to go forward. It is perhaps uh, the foundational theme theologically of how we need to go back into our families of origins and our culture and look at the pain, the negative legacies, the positive legacies as well that we need to break in order to go forward and be a gift to the world. And Joseph is the example of that. This perhaps is one of my favorite texts of emotional and spirituality in the entire course. Well, good morning, Metro. And good morning to those in the nursery, to our online community. We're so excited that you're here with us as we're in our third week of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I'm very excited to introduce you to our, uh, to our speaker. About four and a half years ago or so, I ended up sort of going on a sabbatical. Many of you know the story. I was sort of uh, burnt out, really in an unhealthy place in my sort of in how I lived my life and, uh, and how I did ministry. Took a sabbatical and I kind of lent my way into New Life Fellowship Church where Rich is now the senior pastor there. And uh, he spoke a message, and the message was so powerful, I still remember to this day, he spoke about Jonah, and he talked about how many times we look at that story, and our natural prayer is that we need to pray that God would save Jonah from the whale. But he said it was actually the whale that saved Jonah. And I remember that really resonated with my spirit, because I just felt like that was me, and I was in that place. And it was just one of those sermons that just transformed my life. Afterwards, I picked up... Pete's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, at the church, and it just changed my life. And so I owe, I owe a great deal to this man, and uh, I respect him tremendously, and what he's doing now. He, uh, three years ago, took over uh, New Life Fellowship Church, which is the church that Peace Cazero founded, who's the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and uh, what a gifted man he is, that God's given him a gift of leadership, of preaching, he's sharing God's word, and it's been such a blessing uh, to his community, but even to me, I've taken EHS, I've done the, uh, rich, uh, the conferences, I took recently his, uh, his workshop on emotionally healthy preaching, which I know has become coming a book soon, right? And uh, it was just wonderful to learn more. And uh, uh, Rich has two children, uh, a son that's a year old, Nathan, and a six-year-old girl named Karis. He's married to Rosie for the past 10 years, and he needs a lot of prayer because he is a Met fan, a Jets fan, and a Knicks fan. I mean, he hasn't tasted a championship since 1986. All right, so we're so excited to have him here. Why don't we just give him a warm Metro welcome as he comes up. All right. Good morning. Yeah, you can pray for me about all of that there, Mets fan. Mets are not looking too bad, though. So um, if you need a Bible, uh, if you have a Bible, go to Exodus chapter 34. We're actually not going to be looking at Joseph today. We're going to look at another passage, uh, but with the same uh, theme. And let me just say from the onset that Metro Church, I was talking to Pete Scazzaro, um, uh, who uh, authored uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we talked about there are not many churches that we would really consider as genuine sister churches of New Life Fellowship. And I really uh, get that sense from your community, your church, the values that you have, your commitment to uh, growing in reconciliation and transformation and emotionally healthy spirituality. And so to some degree, it feels like uh, I am home here at, at, at Metro. And so today, um, we are going to look at some stuff that's not uh, so easy uh, to hear, 
Uh, we're going to talk about going back so that we can go forward. Going back, looking at our past so that we can go forward. At New Life, I joke around and say that at the front of our church, we should have a sign that says, enter at your own risk. Enter our church at your own risk because we're going to invite you to go places in your life that you typically would not go on your own. But if you were to go there, you would experience a deep level of transformation that is available through the power of of God. And so I'm praying today that we would experience that kind of transformation. And emotionally healthy spirituality really is about two things. And I like to summarize it this way, that it's about paying attention to your inner space and your outer pace. Your inner space, what is God doing inside of you, and your outer pace, the rhythms that we live to sustain a deep, vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to look at this theme of going back to go forward today. So let me pray for us. Let's invite the Spirit of God to uh, speak to us as we enter into this passage and into this content today. Father, thank you for all the ways that you have uh, spoken to us this morning, the ways that you are drawing us to yourself. And now, Lord, as we open Scripture, I pray that through the power of the Spirit, you would give us eyes to see what you want us to see. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear. Give us a heart to receive every good gift you have for us this day. May your kingdom come in this place. May your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. It's impossible to understand and appreciate Christianity without embracing how radically paradoxical it is. Paradox is a statement that on the surface seems contradictory. But when you examine it further, you begin to understand the hidden wisdom of the statement. Christianity is full of paradoxes. Our faith teaches us that if you want to be strong, then you need to be weak. If you want to be great, then you must become a servant. If you want to be first, then you need to be last. And for our purposes today, if you want to go forward, you're going to have to learn to go backwards. Now this backwards thing, us looking back at our past, might be one of the most difficult things for us to do. And in Christian spirituality and in Christian circles, uh, we often hear mixed messages about what God does with our past. On the one hand, we celebrate the fact that God has forgiven us of our past, that grace and mercy covers us, that in our sense, our past identity is no longer shaping who we are today. And the verse that many Christians look to is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which says these words, if any person be in Christ, he or she is a new creation, the old has passed, the new has come. And so we see these verses like this and say there's no need for us to look back because the old has passed and the new has come. Or we quote verses like this, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Look what happened when Lot's wife looked back into the, she turned into a pillar of salt. You don't want to turn to a pillar of salt, so do not look at the past. And so we use these verses to justify not paying attention to the ways that our past has shaped us. But our experience and the narratives of scripture tell another side of the story. That in many cases, the tension and paradox that we wrestle with is, yes, the old is past and the new has come. But at the same time, the old ways of our families and the old ways of our cultures are still very present 
in our lives, in our marriages, in our discipleship to Jesus. And so at New Life, we like to say it this way. Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa and grandma and great-grandpa and great-grandma lives in your bones. That if we're not aware of the ways that we've been shaped by our families and our cultures, we run the risk of repeating patterns that are inconsistent with being a follower of Jesus. And so this uh, morning, I want to examine two really simple and profound questions. Why should we even look at our past? And how do we go back so that we can go forward? It is with those two questions that we turn to Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse number 6. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, as he passed in front of Moses, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. I want to focus on that last line there. Uh, uh, Happy Valentine's Day. He punishes the children uh, for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In this passage, God offers some really strong and sobering words to Moses. And virtually he is saying this, what we see that the blessing and sins of our families have impact lasting for at least three to four generations. The family is uh, the primary and perhaps in some rare instances, the most powerful group to which we will ever belong. And when we're talking about family, we're talking about uh, it comprises at least three generations of your extended family, dead or alive, even if they live in different places. And so, listen, what, what happens in one generation often tend to get repeated in the next. Now what's important about the verse that I just read, as sobering as that passage is, is a a little uh, Hebrew understanding of this word. Uh, Manfred Brock, an Old Testament scholar, said this word about the word punish here. He said the word punish should be, uh, and the, the word is their consequences, the consequences. And so that last statement should be read in this way, that the children experience the consequences of the sins of their fathers. Children experience the consequences of the sins of their fathers. And what Moses is saying is painful to embrace, but it is true to our experience. That patterns that characterize our parents and grandparents and great parents has a way of being passed to the next generation for good and for bad. Now this is something that we observe in our own families. That is, we see generational patterns and generational sins, and whether it's divorce or abuse or patterns of addictions or financial mishandling, whatever it is, we see in Scripture, as well as in our lives, that the blessing and sins of our families have impact lasting three to four generations. We see this in our lives, don't we? And we see it also in the story of Scripture. 
The book of Genesis, when you look at the book of Genesis, you see that there is a history, a pattern of positive uh, things and negative things that are repeated over and over and over. I'm going to give you three examples of what we see in the book of Genesis. And this is not the exhaustive list here, but three things. Check this out. The first pattern that we see in the book of Genesis is a pattern of lying in each generation. A pattern of lying. Abraham lies twice about Sarah, his wife, denying that she is his wife. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage, his son, is characterized by lies. Jacob lies to almost everyone. His nickname is Deceiver, okay? His nickname is Liar. Joseph's ten brothers lie about him, faking the wake, the mourning, the funeral. The, they lie about the whole thing. We see a pattern of lying in this family. Another pattern you see is a pattern of favoritism, that at least one parent in each generation has a favorite child. Ishmael favors, uh, Abraham favors Ishmael. Isaac favors Esau, Jacob favors Joseph, and later Benjamin. And then look at this last one here where we see tensions. This is a history, a pattern of sibling rivalry, of cutoffs, tensions between Isaac and Ishmael, tensions between Jacob and Esau, tensions between Joseph and his ten brothers. One generation to the next, pattern after pattern. And when we look at scripture and we look at our own lives as well, we begin to realize in this room here that we are all to one degree or another products of broken families, products of a broken past. All of us in this room, regardless of your degree, your level of education, where you live, your, your tax bracket to one degree or another, We've all experienced brokenness in our families. As much as our families have tried to love us, and many of them did a great job, we still, regardless of it, because we're sinful human beings, we all have inherited some kind of baggage. And yes, we've inherited good things, but also we've inherited some bad things. And the reality about our lives is often we are unaware of the baggage and the patterns that we have inherited. Often they are hidden beneath the surface of our lives. Every now and then when I'm home, I sit on the couch uh, looking for a good movie to watch. And if you're anything like me, there's certain movies that when you put them on or, you know, you stop. Wherever it is in the movie, you just stop and watch the rest of the movie. Whenever Godfather comes on, I stop and I just start watching Godfather. When Braveheart comes on, I, I stop and I just start watching Braveheart. When Gladiator comes on, I stop and, and start watching Gladiator. And there's another movie that, that comes on that when it comes on, I just stop whatever I'm doing and, and I watch it and the movie is called Titanic. This movie is called Titanic. <laughs> Love Titanic, oh my goodness. <laughs> Celine Dion's in it, you know. No, she sings a song there. And if you've seen Titanic, if you haven't, um, what's wrong with you? But if you, if you haven't seen Titanic, um, do you know the story? Uh, it's, it's, it's a blockbuster. It's the first movie to hit the billion-dollar mark. And it's an amazing story. But as I was watching it again recently, I was taken aback by the contrast on the ship. On the upper decks of the ship, the Titanic, we see amazing luxury, we see wealth, we see opulence. And a few days after the ship sailed, the Titanic hit an iceberg. 
And at that point in the movie, we see a terrifying contrast, a terrifying contrast. That on the upper uh, decks, on the upper levels of the ship, everything looked magnificent. Parting, life was great. But on another level where the iceberg hit, it was a different story. And soon enough, the issues in the lower deck begin to rise and impact what was happening on the upper deck. So much so that, uh, I don't want to just tell you how the movie ended here, but the Titanic ends up sinking, all right? Just in case you didn't know. Uh, sorry for blowing it there. I should have said, you know, spoiler alert here. But uh, the Titanic sinks. And as I thought about that, I thought, this is a metaphor for many of our lives. That on the surface, everything can look wonderful. We come to church. We're smiling. We're high-fiving. We're high everything looks wonderful. On our Facebook pages, we, we don't put the worst profile pictures up. We put the best-looking profile pictures up. Everything on the surface looks wonderful. But in our lives, when we're unaware, there's, our lives are not just consist, consist of an upper deck. Our lives also consist of a lower deck, that which, ha which is happening beneath the surface of our lives. And the lower deck is broken. And often what's happening on the lower deck of our lives tends to overtake what's happening on the upper deck of our lives, so much so that we are about to capsize. What happens often is that we, we don't take the time to go to the lower deck of our lives. We don't take the time to look beneath the surface. And so at New Life and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this, this image of the iceberg is one that we come back to over and over again, that the kind of transformation that God wants to do inside of you is more than just what happens on the surface. God wants to do more than just change the way we dress and change the way we speak and have some behavioral modification. God wants to transform you in the deepest part of your being the deepest layers of your life. He wants to transform you deep beneath the iceberg. And this is why, as part of the book, the main thesis is this principle that says that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. That is, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Which is to say you can have all the Bible knowledge in the world, but if you are, get very defensive when someone offers feedback to you and get, offers a little bit of criticism to you, you just go crazy. It is not an indication of our spiritual maturity. It's an indication of our spiritual immaturity. That is, we can volunteer all the time and, and be generous people, but if we don't know how to deal with our sadness and our anger and what's happening beneath the surface of our lives, it's an indication not of our our spiritual maturity it's an indication of our spiritual immaturity and God wants to transform us deep beneath the iceberg of our lives and what it means in this context is simple that if we don't go back to identify and address the patterns that are under the surface of our lives we will have a hard time going forward in the way that God is calling us to. All of us in this room have patterns. Patterns from our families of origin. In our room, in this room here, we see patterns perhaps of addiction in our families. Patterns of failed marriages in our families. Patterns of incarceration. Patterns of 
an inability to deal with conflict. Patterns of financial irresponsibility from one generation to the next. And the list goes on and on. And some of you, you, you know what the pattern is. You see the patterns from one generation to the next. You see it in yourself. And maybe you wonder, will this pattern ever end? Could it be different with me? Could it be different with my children? Could it be different with my family? And it is at this point where we must pause to celebrate the power of the gospel. Because in spite of our past, and in spite of the patterns that have informed who we are today, the gospel is available to us to break the power of the past, to offer us a new way forward. And so said in this way, God offers grace to cover our past as well as strength to keep us from repeating it. God offers us grace to cover our past and strength to keep us from repeating it. And so here this good news. Let me just splash you with good news here. Regardless of your past, God's grace is stronger. It's a great time to say amen. <laughs> Regardless of your past, God's grace remains stronger. God, God loves to forgive you even more than you love to be forgiven. And when you look at our biblical heroes, we, we immediately see that the people that God used were not people, the biblical heroes are not people that had it all together. The people that God used were people that had checkered pasts. The people that God used were people that were broken and wounded. The people that God used had so much failure, and yet God's grace was able to cover their past. Look at our heroes in the scriptures. Let me give you just a, a brief synopsis of our heroes in the scriptures, and, and look at their lives. Jacob was a liar. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. The prophet's wife was a prostitute. David had an affair, murdered, and abused power. Paul was a persecutor. Jonah ran from God's will. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out, and Noah got drunk. I mean, this is the faith. This is the heroes of our faith. And yet God overlooks their past and covers their past and offers them a future. The word of God to us is, regardless of what that pattern is in Exodus 34, that the sins of the previous generation tends to get impact the next generation, the power of the gospel says that does not have to continue. That whatever you inherited does not have to continue to be perpetuated. It can stop in Jesus' name. It can stop because of the power of the gospel. It can stop because of the grace of God. And so to one degree, in one sense, we celebrate the fact that God has covered our past. But we also celebrate the fact that God gives us strength to keep us from repeating it. And so discipleship essentially becomes the process of putting off our sinful patterns of our family of origin and putting on the new family of Jesus. In Ephesians 4, Paul says we are to uh, put away the, he calls it the old man, the old self. 
In our context today, it's us like saying us to us, put away the old family and put on the new family. And this is a process. This is not instantaneous. And so at New Life, and this whole emotionally healthy spirituality is really about a, a journey of deeper transformation by greater awareness. A journey of deep transformation by greater awareness. So that we can live in the way that God has called us to. And so at stake here is, is awareness. Are we aware of the ways that we've been shaped? Are we aware of the ways that, that our parents and our grandparents, as good as they try to do for us, we still have inherited things that are inconsistent with the way of Jesus? And one of the tools uh, that we've used to, to really try to discover the ways you've been shaped is something called a genogram. And if you're taking the, a small group course with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, maybe some of you have already done it. For those of you that haven't done it, let me explain it so that when the next time you do it, uh, you can take it and go deeper. Awareness, this genogram. A genogram basically is similar to a family tree, but used to identify patterns from one generation to the next. And so what I want to do is I want to sh show you my genogram. I'm just going to air out all my family's dirty laundry, okay? And the hope is that if you see my dirty laundry here, that God, by the power of God's grace, would all make us vulnerable to appropriately share uh, the patterns and the baggage that we've all received from our family of origin as well. And so are we recording this? I don't want my mother to see this, right? Um, just kidding. This is my genogram uh, on, on the screen here. And for those of you that can't see, my, my mother's side is on this side here. My father's side is on this side here. And you'll notice immediately there that a lot of names there. You have six uncles and six aunts. We have what we call the, the 12 tribes of Puerto Rico right on that side there, okay? That's my mother's side. And then my father's side over here. My father's side, there's lots of conflict, lots of abuse, lots of divorce, lots of alcoholism. On my mother's side, lots of conflict, lots of abuse, lots of alcoholism, so much so that we have what's called earthquake events. When you do a genogram like this, as the book talks about, uh, earthquake events. I had three uncles that died in their 30s and 40s because of alcohol abuse. I had a cousin that was shot to death, 18 years old, because of gang violence. Another cousin in prison for murder. And these are the themes from my family of origin that, that I inherited. Failed marriages. Lots of divorce, drug abuse, parentify, par parentification. You know, children, because of the emotional immaturity of the adults, the children have to grow up and become the adults. At 12 years old and 13 years old, someone has to maintain order here because of the emotional instability. Cutoffs. My family, we, uh, my, my family doesn't do co uh, uh, conflict well. And so... They, my, my Puerto Rican family just cuts you off. And so if there's tension, we cut you off. Amen. Amen. Look at this, right in the room here. And, 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 and then six months later, the family reunion comes. And we act like nothing happened. Oh, and we're good for two months. And we cut you off again. So we see each other. We talk to each other on average. But, you know, two months out of, out of 12, you know, we're in good. But 10 out of 12, not so much. And so we'll cut you off. This is a theme in my 